Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 109 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Frank Bello from Anthrax, I want to put a plug in for the Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. If you're looking for exclusive inside information on the podcast and cocktails in the war room, access to discount codes to shop in the online Mistress Carrie store, amazing free concert ticket giveaways, if you want to submit questions for upcoming podcast interviews, find out about concert and album announcements early, take part in monthly exclusive live streams, and so much more, then the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass is for you. Head to patreon.com slash mistresscarrie or click the Patreon button at mistresscarrie.com. My guest this week, Frank Bello from Anthrax, has been the bass player for the band for 40 years. And as the band celebrates their 40th anniversary, Frank Bello is also hard at work on a solo EP, and he also recently released his autobiography, Fathers, Brothers, and Sons, Surviving Anguish, Abandonment, and Anthrax. Frank checked in on the show to talk about the upcoming Tattoo the Earth Festival, August 27th at the Worcester Palladium Outdoors with Black Label Society and Hatebreed, among others. But we ended up talking about his tomato plants and his dogs, the mental health toll of COVID, songwriting, his family upbringing, Black Sabbath, and the perfect way to slice a salami. And no, that's not code. I can't even count the number of times over the years that I've interviewed Frank Bello, and he is one of my favorite people in heavy metal. If you're looking for details on his book, on his website, his upcoming solo material, and Anthrax's 40th anniversary, check the links in the show notes of this podcast. So, allow me to introduce you to Frank Bello from Anthrax. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Mr. Bello. Yo, what's up, girl? How are you? Oh, uh, you know, um, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I look the circles and all that stuff under the eyes and all that stuff you see. We had a show last night, Summerfest, went great. First time in a while Anthrax has played. So these, these these shows like this are really fun to go out and play. But, you know, it's it's not as easy to do the one-off shows as as when you're in a, a rhythm of a tour, you know? Yeah. 
I don't care how much Pilates or yoga I do. Let me tell you something. <laughs> My ass is beat up today. Straight out, I'm just being honest. Big stage, all good stuff. Great crowd. A lot of people there. All good stuff. Very happy to do it. But my God, I, I was pissed at myself in the middle of it. I was like, man, I got to do more clip. I got to do more yoga. I, I have to do more to get in better shape because, and the rhythm, and the rhythm. I just can't wait to get in. We haven't had a tour since before COVID, right? And we all got a little bit out of shape just yeah, being stuck yeah. at home. If, you know, and you know, the difference is there's gym shape and then there's the stage shape. That's the truth. It really is. It's like a rhythm thing. It's your body, the way it reacts, all that stuff. But, you know, it's a good lesson for me because halfway through the show last night, I said, you, you lazy bastard. You have, I was talking to myself. <laughs> I'm playing. I was like, you lazy bastard. You have to do more. You have to do more. I mean, it was a great show. But for me, I want my, my level to, to like increase so I can do what I do, you know? You better get in the gym because you're getting ready to go out on the road with Black Label Society. And Zach doesn't skip gym day. No, I, I know. I know Zach Vell. Yeah, I don't know. Believe me. Um, it's, I'm looking forward to this. I have to say this to everybody out there. This tour is a, everybody promotes their tours. Everybody, this is a bunch of friends getting together and hanging out. It's, it's kind of crazy that you have a lot of like-minded people because we're all it's a lot of just ball busting this is a ball busting tour <laughs> backstage i was already talking to jd the bass player the other night we did an interview together i said we should just have cameras backstage to hear to make people see what really the ball busting the amount the level of it because there's some severe great great ball busters on this tour and then hate breeds on this tour all our friends so to come back into this into this touring after covid during whatever you want to call it now it's it's the perfect tour for us, I think, because it, it's with friends and it's going to be a good time. That, that's what's important. How was it for you as a player and for the band to be able, after everything that's happened, to go out and get on stage in front of your fans again? Because it's got to be so hard as a musician where you get so used to being able to go up on stage and play the music you love and then it's all taken away. It's a really good question. You know, and look, you're looking at the place where I pretty much stayed creating wise. I wrote a book here in my basement. This is my basement, right? You kind of, everybody did their thing during COVID, right? To come out of this basement, even last night, to go onto a stage. After, well, I think the last time we played was two months ago. Another one-off show. Like you do these one-off shows. It's a different animal because Anthrax, you guys know, it's been a touring thing. It's It's been nonstop touring. To pull that away from us is you got to keep that animal fed. Right, and it's really, really tough. So I can't wait to like get into the tour and dig in, and really dig in, and getting that that third or fourth show under our belts. It's like, all right, now we're now we're getting there, you know. Um, so it's definitely different, but I'm glad. I think there's an anger, and I think there's a there's a there's a hunger within the band, which I'm really happy about. I think that's good for writing. I think that's great for the tour. I think it's all good all around. So. I believe it's all for a reason, and I'm thinking I'm trying to be positive about it because it's, it's a <laughs> shitty time for all of us, right? Yeah. You got to make the best of it now. I'm glad people are coming out to shows again. People aren't afraid to come out to shows. I I want to go out to shows. I want. I've been seeing shows again, and finally, I missed Paul McCartney the other day, but it's okay. Um, I want. I I love live music. I love seeing it. I love playing it. So I think we all need that. So I think it's really important that. Those two worlds meet the people that want to see it and the people that want to do it. I think it's a really good thing. And I'm really happy that it still exists. I, it comes up on my show all the time because those shows 
are where all of us weirdos get together to hang out with each other. Yeah. And we haven't been able to, to to hang out in our land of misfit toys with each other. And that's where we all belong, right? Totally all agree. the bullshit gets left out. We, we go inside with a common goal where it doesn't matter, especially in this day and age with politics and all that stuff. We go into those shows because we want to experience that music together. And when you, whether you're on the stage or you're in the crowd. It doesn't matter. It's one energy. I, I believe yes. a show is an energy. You get the band. See, for me, playing a show live, Playing it, I want to get the energy with the crowd. I want to be one. I want to have this great high at the end of it for both of us. So whoever's playing, I don't care. I went to see last like, a couple of years ago when Foo Fighters first played the Garden back. They came back. It was great. My first show back. That was my first show back at the Garden. It was incredible, right? I just wanted to be a fan. I wanted to scream. I wanted to scream out lyrics. I wanted to have a good time. It's something that connection you have with not only the band, the music. It's that energy we build together. I think it's so important. It's been missing from all of our lives because this is all good. You and I talking via internet, but it's not, it's not. I'd rather be hanging out with you, man. Exactly. I'd rather be hanging, talking, uh, feeling the vibe. This is all good. But, and and thank God we have this stuff, you know, the technology stuff because we couldn't do anything else during that. But there's nothing like seeing a live band and just being uh, just together with people, just, just people and just enjoying a vibe. It's a vibe he creates, you know? It's important. It's the, the band in the crowd, it's like saying, um, well, I love having sex, but uh, but I want to be on top. It's like, it doesn't matter who's on top. Just let me in the bed. Yeah, and if it's done right, we're going to do everything, right? right. <laughs> really, that, that's the whole idea. We're going to go back and forth a couple of times. So you're going to you be on top of, you know, all that good stuff. It's going to happen if it's done right and everybody feels good at the end, right? That's what it's supposed to be. You, you walk out of there. I want people walking out feeling good. At, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, I talked to Morgan from Seven Dust, who, mm. you know, I know you know, and I'm I know boy, really I well. And when you're talking about being locked in your basement, right? You guys are finally learning. This is what I said to Morgan. You guys are finally learning what it's like to be a radio DJ. Because you've been locked in a padded room talking to yourself. And this is what it's like for us all the time. And you, fi- you guys are finally understanding what it's I like. It. I totally, look, lesson learned there. And I... Look, again, this is I'm very lucky to have a basement where I can play and make noise and all that stuff and write and I wrote a book here. I do all this stuff here. It's creative. But it's not It's not what you want. It's not what you want. You want to get out and, and live off of – I want to feel the vibe from a person. I want to get that feed. You know, uh, It's so important because that's what we're used to. That's, look, yeah. we all grew up on this. All of a sudden, it's taken away from you. It's like, oh, now you have to do this. It's like, really? Oh, you're gonna, you have to do this or you die, right? <laughs> It's like, what is that? What is did you, that? Did you name that room in your house? This, I built a studio in mine and I call it MCHQ. Do you, do you have- Some people um, came up with the name Bellows Basement. I don't know if that means anything. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Bellows Basement. I just stay here and say, oh, Bellows in his basement. I go, okay, cool. So they started tagging it. Whatever works. It, bottom line is it's clean. I try to keep it clean. Uh, there's, there's no mold, thank God. And it's a, it's it is nice having your own workspace, right? Because I know that that my phone charger isn't going to get stolen, yeah. and that my favorite pen is going to be right there tomorrow when I come to work. Isn't that the best part? You could leave something. I could leave my th- my glasses. I could leave it right here. They're going to be there later, and nobody's going to touch them. And I I love that. Unless we have ghosts, but I'm saying the other side of it is, I just want what I left last night. Say you have a part in your head and all that stuff. Tape. I want to press play. Wow, all right, it's right there. 
Nobody changed the settings in my computer. It's right. it's all right there. Nobody's spitting on my microphone. The bad breath of the microphone. I, I totally understand. That's the worst. The worst. Yeah, it's, it's like you're making out with somebody else with bad breath. It's horrible. Ugh. Not good. Well, I have not talked to you. Like, I was locked in the basement before mm. it was cool because WAF got sold and went off the air a couple weeks before COVID happened. Yeah. And I haven't talked to you since before that. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I launched the Mistress Carrie podcast before I even got back on the radio was that I wanted to have the conversations with the artists that we had in between the songs and during the commercials on the air. Because so much more happened that people couldn't hear. Totally. And and that's what's been great about this. And they're missing out because it's it's conversation. It's it's real talk, right? It's real talk. And it's like, there's no bullshit. Like... Everybody could have, anybody could have these setup questions. All right, so when did the album come out? But what are you doing next? All that stuff. But the stuff you and I would talk about when that microphone's off and we're just kidding around, that's the goods. That, that's yeah. the real goods, you know, the good stuff that we want to hear. And I'm, I'm a fan, so I want to hear that too, right? Yeah. I, I think it's important. So I think it's a really good idea. And congratulations on it. Good, Thank good for you. you. You know what? It- it's going to be fun. And that's the way to do it now. One thing, one thing closes, open another, you know, another door opens. I love it. I want to talk to you about how much things have changed since Anthrax started, right? Because you're celebrating your 40th anniversary. And obviously, you know, back then, you basically had to play a show or or if you got invited into a radio station, like that was basically how you could connect. We live in a world now where people can be in your business as much or as little as kind of you allow because of social media and stuff. You took it a step further where you sat in Bellow's basement and you wrote it all down. Yeah. How are you feeling now that everybody knows all your shit? Great question. Um, look, when that when my book first came out, um, I was the first week. I remember t- telling my wife I was really scared. Really, I mean, because you know you do all these re you reread the thing a lot to make sure it's right, right? You know, you know that. So it came out of nowhere where I it hit me one day. I was like. Everybody knows my shit. It's like my life. There's nothing. There's nothing exaggerated in that book. There's nothing that's not real and honest. It's, it's it's as raw as I got. I felt raw when I left that book. And even when I did some of the rereads, I said, Man, "Should I not?" I even asked my publisher. I said, "Is this too raw? Is it too much of me? There's nothing left." Like you know. But everybody was because it it affected everybody, and it affected everybody so profoundly honestly and this is what the payoff is here and this is it it's not about book sales it's not about money because there's not a lot of money you know what i mean it's not it's not a bestseller i all i wanted to do like i want to do with my music i want to connect with people that's all i wanted to do with the book the best feeling that i've gotten from this whole thing with writing a book and all that stuff is people writing me back and how this book helped them deal with their loss the loss of Look, they all know my brothers. My brothers lost the murder and all that stuff is horrible. Abandonment by my dad, right? All that stuff. People were really connecting with this stuff. They're writing the publisher on it. They're writing me about it. And it really, I mean, these are really beautiful letters I'm getting too. Really great comments like from the heart and how it really made them think about their life a different way. So it's a more, look, it's, it's just a, a lighter place, a better place than where they were at. And let me tell you something, if one person, if one person felt like that and that book achieved that, then that's the goal, right? Because it's not about money and all that. Yeah, money's nice and all that stuff, but it's about, especially at this age, it's about 
paying it forward. I've been very lucky in my life. I know that. A lot of hard work, but I've been also very fortunate. So the, the idea is, why wouldn't I want to make somebody else feel like the way I've been able to feel? So that's what it's about now. It's like, come on, I have a 16-year-old kid. I want to make it a better world somehow. Whatever it is, just put it into the world. Put the positivity into the world. Maybe, maybe think good things happen. That's where it's at. I've interviewed a lot of artists, Ronnie Radke from Falling in Reverse most recently, that he's got a book coming out as well. And people have told me, because I've had a lot of crazy things happen in my life, Carrie, you should write a book. I can't get past looking at a blank piece of paper or a blank screen on my computer and starting day one. How did you get over that hump? How, what was your process like to get this thing well, done? First off, I have a great co-writer, Joe McIver, who I'm friends with, I was friends with before, who knows me pretty much more than I know myself, and I didn't know that. But he was also great. He was great at pulling um, these stories that he knew I had in my head. And look, you can you probably say the same thing. You, you know they're in there. You don't know how to get them out. And I get it. I totally understand it. But there's a way with Joel, and I have to credit, he better pay me for this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a great thing that he does. He'll, he'll, he'll put one specific line in there. He'll trigger that story that's in the back of your head, and you have them. I think everybody's got them. And it just started flowing. And we had these great sessions in this basement. In this basement, had these great sessions via internet. Via internet. And let me tell you, uh, there were, look, I had a, there was booze, there was whiskey, there was tissues for crying. There was a lot of deep shit that went on that probably I thought I got over in therapy. Obviously, I wasn't. And that's a big deal when, it, when you go deep like that and say, wow, I'm feeling this again. All of a sudden, I'm talking to Joel and I can't talk anymore because my voice is getting high. I'm crying. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I thought I dealt with this. And, you know, I don't think it ever leaves you. And then every day after the book, I had all these other emotions from the from the book, and I, I started writing music. So I have a solo EP coming out from that. It, it, it all made sense because I needed to keep getting this out. And after the book, I said, "Well, I'm, I'm left with all this this shit in my in my head, my, in my gut." And I, it, it created creatively, uh, creatively, it just made all the sense in the world to just get it, keep getting it out there. How did the guys in the band react? Was there anything in there that they didn't know and they read it and were like, dude? I think, first off, everybody's very supportive, which I'm very, I'm very happy about. Um, and, you know, look, I want everybody to do their own thing and be happy. And everybody does side projects in my band, so everybody's cool. <clears throat> Scott wrote two great books. <clears throat> Charlie, the drummer, Anthrax, we grew up together. So he knows a lot of this stuff. But the thing, some of the stuff he didn't know was when I lived with my, my dad and mom, he wasn't there for that. He, he was there when I when I moved into his house with my grandmother, because we're related, he's, he's actually my uncle. So there's a lot of deep shit, but he didn't know, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff he didn't know I was feeling, you know, and uh, a lot of deep stuff in there. And and you, actually, it's funny because you see the formation, if you when you read the book, of the nucleus of anthrax, really, after, after that, you know, of what this anthrax is now. So I, I find it, you know, that, that part was a lot of fun because I, I kind of relived it and I love my grandmother like nobody on this earth, you know. Uh, that was a great time to revisit. It was, it was really because she, I paid tribute to her and she deserved it. You know, it was one of those things, it was all love because I believe she brought love and, I, and that makes me want to do that, you know. It's important. There's something about an Italian grandmother, right? 
Yeah, I mean, grandmothers in general, but Italian grandmothers is a little something special there. You know, the, the food, the, the loving in the food, and food is a big part of my life, as you know. It, I have to ask you this because I got married in the middle of COVID and my husband's not Italian and I am. Thank you. Oh, very cool. And um, he he thinks I'm loud. <laughs> and And when I say I'm not yelling, I'm Italian, he doesn't understand that he doesn't understand the Anna's cookies at Christmas. Like he doesn't understand there's just certain things. And when I, when I try to get him to, I'm like, it's an Italian thing. You just don't get it. Like when I say to that, because I, I get that too. And just so yeah. you don't feel bad. I use the word. I'm not loud. I'm passionate. <laughs> right. I'm, pa- I'm passionate about the things I believe in. And then, you know, like, you're talking about food. I'm passionate. I'm going to get a little louder. Oh, you know, oh, no, they have this sauce like this. And you put the mozzarella like that. Oh, my God. You know, and you start, you're raising the voice. And all of a sudden, it's like, what the hell? Is, are you yelling at me right now? And that's no. what he'll say. Stop yelling. It's, and I'm like, like I'm not yelling. I'm not. Yeah, I just feel really good. And I want you to enjoy it. I'm hoping that this gets through to you. You have to understand. It's not yelling. It's my passion for whatever we're talking about. It really is that. We talk with our hands. Look at, look at me. I'm pathetic. I was I'm just going to say, if you're listening to this podcast, if you could see me and Frank's hands. They're just flying everywhere. It's like we're high-fiving over here, but we're not even touching. It's really weird. But it is is—it is that. That's how we accentuate what we're talking about. It's like, here, yeah. here, here it is, you know? Well, you were very busy during, like, the, the lockdown and all of that stuff with, with creative work things, right? A book and a solo album coming out. Obviously, yeah. everything Anthrax has been doing around your 40th anniversary. Yeah. But I've also been very curious about the non-music-related hobbies that you may have picked up because you got bored as shit. Yeah. Did you start gardening or doing jigsaw puzzles like Slash did? Have you been, have you been talking to my wife? Because gardening... <laughs> look, I, look, I'll tell you right now. I'm not a, I'm not a big lawn guy. I don't try to get my grass as green as fucking everything else. Fuck that. I want to cut the grass. I want to make it look decent, but I'm not going to be in competition with my name. Fuck that. I'm not competing with you because you're, I'm cutting my grass and that's the way it's going to be. But I've gotten into the gardening just because I find, and this sounds weird, in this COVID time where you can't go out of your house, all that other bullshit, right? I found it was very easy on the mind. It just kind of like got me away from everything else, music, all the other shit, frustration of not being able to play, all that stuff. I find it's funny, man, because I just started buying my wife a bunch of different flowers and plants. I said, oh, no, this is going to go here. This is going to go. Why not? And my backyard looks pretty good right now. I have to say I'm pretty (laughs) proud of it. Um, I keep up with it, but the the lawn mowing uh, is not my favorite part. I just hedged. I hedged all my front hedges and I used to be like, oh, I used to do it all cockeyed because I, I don't know how to do it when I started. Now I've got to be honest, I've become pretty good at it. So I guess it's it's um therapeutic in the long run, you know. So even but do you little, have tomato plants, Frank Bello? Look, I have, and this my wife has two big boxes. You know those boxes, those dirt boxes. It's yeah. Big. My friend, my friend Mike built these two big boxes of just just vegetables. So it's very old school Italian stuff going on here. I get the basil. We have mint. We have tomatoes. She has um, she she has cucumbers. She has this lettuce we tried. There's another lettuce we're gonna try. Um, what is this other one? This Italian vegetable broccoli, broccolini. Oh, bro- broccolini, yeah, broccolini, delicious. Yeah. That hasn't come up yet, but why not? And you know it's great. No, you know no pesticides are gonna be on that. You just pull it straight from the garden. So it, it's all really seriously organic. You pull it. I love. The fact that I can pull it from the garden, wash it, goes in the pot. This, Just be careful with that pathetic. mint. 
What? It'll take, the mint will take over if you're not careful. That's like a vampire letting it in the house. Once it's in there, it wreaks havoc. There's one specific reason why I, I asked for the mint to be planted. And that's because mojitos. Yes. <laughs> that's why mine's out there. And that's uh, that's specifically for that. And I have mint just about with every drink I have, you know, other than beer. But, you know, it gets, you know, six o'clock, five o'clock, you know, and day's over, so, you know, sit outside, admire my yard. This is very pathetic, but that's that's what happens in COVID time. That's what I've learned how to do. And it's funny because you're talking about this COVID time in our basements, right? I'm, after last night's show, again, great show, all that good stuff. I'm really weirded out about, and this is a guy who's been on the road most of his life. I'm really weirded out about going on a bus and not coming home the first day, right? Staying out for a what, five-week tour. I'm weirded out as how's that going to affect me because I'm in a definite program here, you know, go out and do whatever, the yard work, all the other stuff, the house, in the basement. I'm, I was wondering last night after the show, how am I going to adjust to this? How's this going to be again? I know it'll, it'll sink in. It'll, it made us all weird... a little agoraphobic. Yes. Yes. And it spoiled our fucking dogs that we're going to be home all the time. Yes. You're totally Those right. You know, shits. you are exactly right. We have two, two, um, um, two dogs, um, we adopted both of them, you know, we saved them both. And one we adopted during COVID. Uh, and he's so attached to Teresa, my wife. She, he's so attached. I mean, as she's working at home and, and on the desk, he's in her lap. So if she has to go back, if the, her job calls her back, man, uh, he's going to be left with me. And he's going to, who are you? You know, it's going to be one of those things. I kind of feel bad, but it's uh, one of those things. It, it'll be what are the dog's problem. names? I need to know what the dog's names are. <clears> and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, my first, my, my first dog was Chloe. She's upstairs and pumpkin is the other one. Pumpkin was, it was from the adoption agency, um, from, um, social teas. I have to give them props, social teas, NYC, great people there. Go adopt a dog. I highly recommend it. All save it. You save a dog. It's awesome. We did, we did it twice. It's, it's awesome. Do you have Instagrams <clears throat> for your dogs yet? I don't, I, I barely want to do Instagram for myself. <laughs> you know, I, you look, everybody who knows me. I like connecting with people, but to feel like you have a job, I don't want to feel compelled that I have to have content for today. I want to make it fun content or bust somebody's balls or play something. I don't want to feel obligated. Oh, I got to come up with something. Holy. And I know people, a lot of people like this, who just, oh shit, I got to come up with something for today's content. It's, it's not, for me, it's not real that way. I want to just, I want to be spontaneous. I want to be fun. I want to have fun with it, you know, and that's not fun. It's almost like, all right, my job today is to make content. All right, I'm going to take a picture of the wall. And you know, what are you going to do? I, I have to ask <clears throat> what people's dogs' names are now, because recently I interviewed Geezer Butler. Love and it. did you know that all of his animals are named after gangster rappers? I've heard that. I've heard that, <laughs> which is awesome. Isn't that great, though? It's the greatest thing ever. and Gloria, they rule. Ever. They're the best. They really are the best. He's not only one of my heroes, easily, of course, but I love that they're so passionate about that. They're, they really are great people. Um, I asked Geezer if he thought that Black Sabbath should be credited with inventing heavy metal. And he kind of told me the story about the reporter that saw the Sabbath show and kind of used the term heavy metal as an insult right. at describing the show. You're part of the big four. Did Black Sabbath invent heavy metal? What do you think? Look, you're asking a Sabbath fan. You can't, of course. For me, it's right there. It's in, listen, listen to Black Sabbath. Listen to Black Sabbath. You know, for me, yeah, I grew up on that. So I have to say yes to that. That's, 
I still love, and they hand, and they still stand up. Those songs still stand up. So yeah, for me, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody else could say this about your other bands. It's all very personal for me. Yeah, that was the first heavy guitar that I heard like that. Tony Iommi's guitar, Geezer playing with that, the way he plays with a kind of a kind of distorted bass and just these great jazz bass lines that he made up. That was all a great, a great time. It was a, it was a great mixture of heavy, of heavy. You know, there was great stuff, heaviness coming in. So for me, yes. Um, I've had a lot of great conversations with guitar players and bass players and the conversation of tone always comes up. Where do you attribute the origin of a player's tone? Where does it come from? In their personality. To be really honest with you, I was just talking, you know, <clears throat> I'm working with this wonderful, not to prop, prop them up, this wonderful company called Tech 21, New York City. Uh, Tech 21, they're a pedal company. I've been using their Sans Amp for years. If you ask most of the bass players out there, they'll be using a Sans Amp in the studio. That's what, it's a studio thing that I use live. I'm working with them on a really cool project for a pedal, so I'm really psyched about this. We were talking about where the tone comes from. It's all from inside. I believe everybody's got their personality, so everybody has their own tone, right? You hear something different than I do. You'll hear it in your tone, and maybe it's your personality from what you hear in your head. I think that's really important. So people ask me about my bass tone, it's just what I hear in my head. And it's not right unless it sounds and matches the sound I have in my head. So for me, it's a personality thing. It's in my head. It's it's who you, my tone is who I am, really. It's true. Um, I don't have a tone because I can't play any instruments. And I also can't write songs, which I'm very sad about, which is why I think I surround myself with creative people that can. Cause I have just you tried? Can't do it. Yes. Yeah. First of all, can you hear my voice? Okay. This is not singing anything. Look, I've heard some stuff. That could be, you know what I'm saying? My, so anything my career as a clarinet player ended a long time ago, and there's no heavy metal clarinet anywhere I've looked. There isn't any. You know what? You never know. I used and to be a trombone player and a, and, a, and a tuba player, yeah, in jazz class. And, and um, in the Bronx, I was a, um, a trombone player. Then I switched to tuba because they didn't have a tuba player. And then in high school, they put me on a stand in the jazz class. They put me on stand-up bass, which I really love because it was great for my extension. Because I played, I played electric, uh, but the teacher would never let, want me on the electric because I always played heavy songs and she didn't want that. So I would, she would put me on the big stand-up bass, which I loved. I thought it was awesome. It was great training for me. Did you, when did you start playing bass? Did you play guitar first or I did play you play guitar. bass first? I played guitar first in, um, in my house with Charlie, my, my, my drummer. Um, and we were jamming all kinds of songs, but he's the one, him and my friend Mike were the ones that noticed I was playing the bass parts on guitar. So they were the one that recommended, why don't you just play bass? Because you obviously you're, you're hearing that first. And and when I picked up the bass, it was it just clicked in. And I just I heard I hear bass first. It's really weird when I hear songs. I go straight to the bass and I separate them from the other parts, the guitar and drums. I I listen to what the bass is playing. I have a theory about music. Tell me if I'm right. Go ahead. That there's the early years of music that you get gifted, right? Your parents, your older brother, that badass cool uncle that exposes you to stuff. Yeah. And then there's a day where you hear something for yourself and go, that I like, that is mine. So what was the soundtrack of your upbringing? What's the music you got gifted? And then what was that day? What was that song that changed it for you? Um. Great question. Great theory here, because I think I think that's a great theory. Uh, it was Kiss when I saw them. I said, I want to do that, right? And then as far as bass, it was pretty much Rush. 
rush. And um, yes, and Geezer. And you know, I have to give all these people credit. Give Steve Harris, my, my favorite guys, uh, bass players. Um, and that was it. So Kiss made me want to do, oh, I want to be on stage like that. But when then I heard what another side of it with musicianship and Kiss are great musicians, don't don't get me wrong, but it's it's another side. They, it was a different kind of music musicianship that I liked with Getty did was doing with the bass. I said, I have to learn that. I don't know how I'm going to learn it, um, but I had to learn it. I felt it really, I, I had to go after school. And I say this in the book, I have I, like after every day I worked in the, in a deli in the Bronx after every day, it closed at eight o'clock. I would go home and learn rust songs. It was really that important to me and not go out with the guys who were going out to party. I thought it was more important to, to learn how these people did this and how to make it sound like that. And how do you make that note go like, it, it was so, it was so important to me. It still is. It still is. Cause I still go back to, I was just jamming rush the other day. <clears throat> I was listening to some of Getty stuff. I was still, I'm still fascinated by the guy. He just, I'll, I'll, I'll be the eternal fan and, uh, and student. I'll, I'll always do that. I don't think you should ever stop learning. Are you good at math? That seems to be something that if you're, especially with the bass players you're talking about, like yeah. music and math some, are like the same part of the brain. It, it, I'm not good at math, but that I understand that if you put it together like that, it is numbers and stuff like that. But I, um, I was never good at math in school, but um, I, this, this somehow clicked. I don't know why, you know, I wish I could have had the bass when I was doing school. I probably would have done better in math. Um, I want to ask you this question, and it's from a songwriter's perspective. So it's not a favorite album, favorite song kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You're a songwriter. So from a songwriter's perspective, can you give me an example or two of, of songs you feel are so well-crafted that they are an example of perfect songwriting? But then you got to break it down and explain to me why. Anybody? Anybody, any genre, mm -hmm. any artist, doesn't matter. Let's it's go the to craft Eleanor. of the song. Let's go to Eleanor Rigby. Ooh, yes! Right? Let's go to Eleanor Rigby. Yes! Right? Paul McCartney, a Beatles, obviously. Listen to that. First off, where did that come from? What gift from God does that come from, right? And it's put into his brain to put into a piano. Listen, listen to it. The piano parts alone. And then that great melody right on top of that. He's following. He's all up and down the keys, right? Eleanor Rigby was in a and he's telling a story. How about the lyric on top of that melody? <clears throat> We're completely diving into that and living the story with him. The music is compelling. It's bringing you in because it's such a catchy riff, right? It's a catchy. Oh my! All of a sudden, this great melody. There's the taste. There's the beautiful taste. It's candy, right? That melody's candy. Eleanor Rigby works in the church and was married. <clears throat> I'm getting off the clamp of this shit. <clears throat> but then the lyric, he's telling this beautiful story. That's one guy, right? This, this beauty, that's, that's what makes you want to write songs. How do you do that? I mean, well, I mean, never come close to that, but it's like, and you, but you want to try to do something close to it. It's like that, that exists. So I want to learn from that and do my thing. Right. And I think, I think that's important for everybody. Writers, songwriters, just book writers, whatever it is. He told the story within a song. <clears throat> the music was telling that story already, but then he had he had that beautiful melody on top, and then the words. He told this beautiful story, and we all followed it. I, I mean, <clears throat> and the story gets sad. It's it's a total sad story. We want to yeah. cry at the end of it. It's it's a total sad story. But does it matter? All I know is after that song, yeah, we maybe maybe a little melancholy, but I'm <clears throat> I'm fascinated. 
I'm fascinated to this day. It's my ringtone, for God's sake. That song is my ringtone. <laughs> it's because it's it, it's so not only catchy. Catchy is too too short for that. It's just it's it's so number one. It's honest, and I I think that kind of song is a gift. I do. It's a gift because when is it? When have you heard a song like that recently? Think about that. I talk about it all of the time on the show. The greatest gift my mother ever gave me, which is why I asked you the question about the music you got exposed to growing up. My mom exposed me to the Beatles and she had this amazing love of music, right? That you determine where you were in your life by what song you remember listening to at that time. Not everybody's like that. But when you get gifted that, the amount of times people have cited a Lennon and McCartney song on this show being examples of perfect songwriting, can't even count them. Yeah, it's you have to because... I believe, look, in our lifetime, we were very lucky to have that. Really, we were very lucky to have that. And Paul's 80, God bless him. I love him. He just played in New York the other day. I missed it. Um, We were very lucky to have the Beatles. And look, and we're very lucky to have those recordings to learn from. It's to learn. I think they they were the teachers. You know, they were influenced from who they were influenced from. The sponges of their minds got all these great things that they were influenced by, put it and put it into these beautiful songs. And for all of us, for all of us to go on in life with forever. So I I just think the Beatles were a gift, you know. And you, look, for me, it's always been the Beatles and then the Stones, right? That kind of thing. I like the Love the Stones. All good. All good. Just loving what Mick still is doing. It's, it's still doing. It's just incredible. But for me, it's always going to be the Beatles because you could still listen. You could listen to the White Album today and just... Close the lights, put your headphones on, and go into another world. It really is that, right? You can go into another world. And People ask me like, why I am the way that I am, and I'm like, my mom let me listen to the White Album on 8-Track when I was like five. Smart. Did you expect anything else was going to happen? I respect your mom. I love that because you know what? She gave you, a, in my opinion, she gave you a gift. That's yeah, a gift. 100% is a gift. That's that's a gift for, for me. I, I mean, my kids, my kids into everything. He's into rock. He's into rock. He's into hip hop. He's slowly getting into the Beatles now. He's 16. I'm just trying to make him understand of what this really is and where all a lot of the music came from. You know, and nowadays it's all you go back a little bit. And even before you better the, take him to see McCartney or Ringo before they're gone, so absolutely. he can say he saw a Beatle. That's my goal. That's my that's my goal. See, the other day, Thursday, they uh, Paul played here. I talked to him like I know him, Paul. Um, <laughs> he he played in um, the old Giant Stadium, whatever it's called, MetLife Stadium now. And um, my friend said he had a ticket for me, right? A guy gave him these two these two tickets. The guy reneged at the at the end, so he took him and Frank was left here. I was like, really? And I found that later. I was like, I was like, it's kind of annoyed. I was like, really? And um, because I could have got my own tickets, I could have. No, I, I got one. Say, I got one. You're in Anthrax. Yeah. Can't you get a ticket? You know, it's one of those. Guy? But he had this ticket. This was a lock, right? You know, a, you know, a lock. Yeah. I had yeah. it locked in. So I didn't, you don't think about getting your own tickets. Okay, I'm gonna. We'll go together. We'll have a good time. Have some beers. Blah blah blah. I never came. <laughs> I, I joke all the time. You'll appreciate this joke. I say one of the greatest days of my life, Jacksonville, Florida. I saw Paul McCartney on stage as the Super Bowl halftime show and my beloved New England Patriots won the Super Bowl in wow. one day. That's I was big. like, that's it, it doesn't get any better than that. That's just incredible. See, that's, that's a win-win all around. That's a good day. <clears throat> See, and uh, we can get into this for a second because I can talk <laughs> to you about this. 
you know, you have a Paul McCartney, you have all these, you have Prince, all these great, great performers, Gaga, all these great performers. Have you seen what's been going on lately about, I want to, with the halftime show, it's like, they're not really grasping what the audience is. I want more. How about, put some rock and roll in there somewhere. Something's got to happen. I mean, I thought ACDC was going to get announced. They had the record. They had all of it. It's a matter of fact. Go to a sporting event without hearing ACDC. Impossible. That's what, that's what bothers me. It's like, wait a second. If you put ACDC on that stage right now, you shook me all night long. People are losing their shit. I get it. We're rock and roll. We're metal people. I get it. But at the same time, it's been consistent. Like I've, I've seen the, the, the halftime show. I don't watch it anymore. It's just like, look, there's some good hip hop stuff, but it's like, some of it's just like, wait, that's, that's like, you're not, not real. It's like, you're phoning it in. It's not really leveling it out. You got to bring that level up, man. The energy, there's no energy. I'm like, come on, what is that? ACDC is the biggest gaping hole in representation for the Super Bowl, in my opinion. It's like, they are the soundtrack to every sporting event at one point or another. Absolutely. And they haven't been asked to play it. Or maybe they have and they've turned it down. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, even Metallica. I like to see Metallica play the halftime show. Yes. I, whatever. I want to see, again, hip hop, fine. Why don't we mix it up? Why don't we put some hip hop and some metal or rock, whatever you want to do, but make it for everybody. You know, it's just like, I'm, look, I like some hip hop. I like older hip hop. I like older hip hop more than the newest stuff. My son's into the new hip hop. That's how I learned. But, well, um, you guys helped hmm. to bridge that in a lot of ways. I Anthrax like, helped to kind of. Absolutely bring those two things together before anybody was right. doing it. You guys, that's yeah, your story. It's not, it's not a blanket statement. Like I, I don't like the new, all new hip hop, but just some of it is, is it gets me and some of it I don't. I, I just, it's like, all right, that sounds like you're phoning it in. That's, that's, I heard that from this other guy. What do you bring, bring something new to me, you know, bring, bring life to it. I just, I, I just feel like it hasn't, and I'm not, I'm not nailing it. I just, I'm not knocking it. I just feel like it, for me, it hasn't grown. It hasn't grown. I want to see it grow a little more because I think it deserves to grow, you know? Um, talk to me about, because again, I don't understand the songwriting thing. Mm. So you're a songwriter, you're an artist. Talk to me about the difference between an idea you get in Bellows Basement that you go, okay, that's going on my solo EP versus something that you get and go, okay, that's for Anthrax. Like, how do you make that decision about where that goes? It's a really good question because it, it and it happens right here. I would do demos. Um, and you know, like I specifically have a, there's a couple of full on songs. Um, I know it would never be for me. It was just, it was too intense. It would never be for my solo stuff. Cause I just want my solo stuff. Look, I can, you can write whatever you want to write, but something just lends itself. All right. That's, that's an anthrax riff right there. You know, solo stuff. I know I can use my voice and my melody on top of that, you know, and so, there's other stuff that I just recorded and said, this is anthrax. So I want to go full on anthrax with this, and I'll put a lot of the drumming. I think is going to be there, all the, and, you know, all that stuff, the guitar work. Um, you know it. You know it when you hear it. You because, and also when I do solo stuff, it's more rock. It's not as much metal, because yeah, I I do the anthrax metal thing on that side. So um, I I have fun with the rock and roll stuff. It's heavy rock. It's still heavy, but it's just it's more rock and roll. But you know it when you hear it, and when you when you play, it's like oh yeah, this will be good. This would be good for solo. This would be good for anthrax, you know, and you, and you uh, give it to the guys. What, other than Slayer, who they've <clears throat> kind of rumbled a little bit saying they, maybe they retired a little prematurely now. What do you attribute to all of those bands? Like the big four, whatever you want to call them. They're all still around. 
and the fans are all still there and the shows are just as big. Thank God for that. Yeah. Right. But yeah. what, but what fans. is it? Cause so many bands have come and gone. So many different genres of artists have come and gone. I, what I, is it? Uh, I mean, look, first I feel really fortunate to be part of this whole thing. I do. And that's not just saying it like a politician. Um, I, I just think it's real. It's, 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 we're not trying to be somebody else. I don't think any of these bands, I think everybody's got their own individuality. Metallica has their thing. They have their sound. They have their, their songs. Slayer has their thing. Megadeth, Anthrax. I mean, everybody's got their thing. Slipknot has their thing. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Lamb of God, all these great groups, Ex- Exodus, uh, all these great groups, they're still around because people know they're going to give them, you know, it's almost, it comes out of them. It's, it's, it's so real. It's so honest. It's honest. And they're not trying to um, be somebody else. They're going to be themselves. I think that's what people appreciate that. They know like an anthrax, an anth- a group like anthrax, we can't be anybody else. We're not trying to be. We never did. We just want to do what we want to do, and I think people appreciate. It. I'm thankful that they appreciate that. But you, you can't, you can't phone it in. You can't try to be somebody else. You just gotta try to be a fan. I think we're all fans. You know, we got, we're still fans of this music, and we have to impress ourselves. You know, uh, and then we think other people, like-minded people, would like would like it also. That's the whole point. Um, when it comes to rock and roll and, and heavy metal or whatever, there's been a lot of people over the years. I mean, shit, they've been saying it for 25 years that rock is dead and you know, the, the world has moved on. Do you think it's a good thing for rock and roll that it's kind of gotten driven back underground and it's a little dirtier and more secretive now? I was having this conversation the other day. Great, great question. A question. I kind of think it's cool that we're underground. I kind of, it's rock and roll, right? It's rebellion. It's rebellion because it's not the norm. Look, I know I have no problem that it's, you know, it's a hip hop world. That's fine. It's fine. But rock and roll has always been rebellious and that's kind of cool. We'll be, you know, under the radar. I kind of like going under the radar. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong. It's very rock and roll and metal, whatever you want to call it. But um, there's an underground. There's an underground, which is really cool. And that, that always, remember, remember this, that always builds up to something big, right? And one day everybody gets like-minded and it builds up to be this big thing again. So I think, you know, even with the younger bands coming out, I'm excited because there's younger bands coming out that are going to blow up one day and make this metal and metal or rock thing big again. And I think it's important. So everything's got cycles. You live long enough, you learn that everything's got cycles, right? So no one thing is going to be forever. That's the way I look at it. I said, all right, you know what? This is a cycle. I'm cool with being underground. I just want to write great songs and, and have fun with this thing, man. And just go out and rock. And if it's underground, it's underground. If it, if it's if it's the biggest thing, cool too. Whatever. Just as long as we can do it, it's really important. <clears throat> you guys are celebrating forty years, which it's weird, still right? blows it's weird. my mind open. And you went back and did that docu series and kind of went through the history of the band. And it's it's got to make you a little sentimental, right? To kind of yeah. go back and look at everything, not only everything that you've achieved, but everything that you've achieved together with these guys from the neighborhood yeah it's it's really weird that after all these years and yeah remember those early days and everybody in one hotel room you know and and in that van and that smelly van where everybody had gas it was horrible you know all those but i say that it was horrible but those are the best times of our lives you know because it's it's the rite of passage it's like growing that's how growing up my scrapbook of my life is anthrax think about it I know I've seen these people in this group more than I've seen my family. 
So growing up in all those days on the road, we were road dogs. That's what we did. We, there was no radio that was going to play us anytime soon in those days, right? So you had to stay on the road and make people see you. That's the way it worked. And I, I, I cherished when I saw those videos. It brought back a lot of great memories. And it also makes me appreciate what, what a great ride. Yeah, there's, there's bumps and bruises and all that stuff, peaks, valleys, all that stuff, like everything else in life. But it makes you really appreciate it because we've been around for a while and to be relevant in 2022 uh with the last two records people saying some of our finest work ever that's that's a pat on the back and it also makes you want to do more makes you hungrier to make that better record like we i mean we make sure our songs are right for us we have to make sure when we we really nitpick the shit out of them i think that's important uh, so I'm really proud of I'm really proud of our our, our ride, our, our ride, and seeing that thing brought back even some of the things. You know, it's funny about that that whole YouTube thing that's on YouTube. If you guys haven't seen it, <clears throat> I didn't know what some of the band members felt until they interviewed them individually. And same thing for me. They didn't know it was the same thing. So it was nothing bad. It was just cool that oh, you felt like that too. Holy shit, you know and. It brought on more conversation, which I think is healthy for the group. Is there anything left besides raising the bar when it comes to music? Is there any kind of personal goal for your, for the music or personal goal for the band? I mean, it's 40 years. You guys have done a lot of shit. Uh, if you know us and you know us, I don't think there's a peak. I don't think we've reached anything. For me, the fun of the game is the hunger, the angst of trying to reach a goal that may not exist. I don't even know what the hell that is. The void, into the void, right? No pun. But I'm just saying, I I don't, I just want to keep raising the bar. That's what's important. Raising the bar, I, I need to, <clears throat> I, I need for myself, I need to achieve more than I've achieved musically, writing wise, and just feeling like I've done that. And, and, because I don't see an end. I don't. Anthrax is very hungry. We're very hungry. We enjoy playing together. We know we have something special, and there's a lot of fucking angst in this group, which I love. I live on angst. <clears throat> Me too. I tell people maybe that's an Italian thing too. I tell people I'm fueled by hate and caffeine. Like I just I need. Why is it that we have to get upset and be angry to be motivated? What is that? I think the way of, and I tell my wife this. Believe me. Uh, I think my angst comes out passionately. <laughs> passionately, I think it's I think it's important because we feel so strongly about something. We get so deeply into something and believe in it. Because when we get a goal, and that's a, that's a good thing for me, it, all the people in my family, we're gonna get a goal. We're, we're going for it. You know, if we believe in it, we study the whole thing around. It's all good. It's all you know. <clears throat> when you go for something, it's got to be all the way. It can't be half-assed. It's got to be done right. It can't be, oh, I'll leave that for later. No, no, no. Get to that fucking thing now. Whatever that is, you don't leave that alone. You work hard. It's it's a work ethic, really. It's a, really a work ethic. Work hard and get and feel good about it because when, once you're at that, that place where you want to get, you take that breath, you have that beer, say, yeah, that's what it's important. That, and, but you never really get there. You just take little breaks, you know, like after a record. After a, record, after a record's out, and you let your baby out, you let it go, right? <sighs> okay, that was good. What's next? It's got to be like, you know, it is that. Yeah. You take that breath, take that one second breath, like, 
for me, it's always been, I think the band Anthrax, it's always been like that. Okay, you don't rest. There's no rest. There's always tomorrow. You have to, we have to make a whole new audience, you know, to come along with our audience. Because there's more people out there that don't know about Anthrax. So for me, it's, it's about making that people turn them on to it and making them feel good. When you go through your career and you're getting ready to go on this tour, which you're going to be at the Palladium Outdoors for the Tattoo the Earth Festival. That's going to be crazy. That show, that show is going to be insane. nuts. Just the First guest list all, alone for that show is insane. It's, yeah, the, the stages, I had Scott Alderman, who started the Tattoo the Earth tour, you know, 20-something years ago on the show recently. We were just talking about how crazy that was. Yeah. But the fact that they let these shows happen in downtown Worcester, love outdoors. It. I love it. The first time I saw shows out there before COVID, I was like, the mayor's okay with this shit? Because it. it was loud and insane, and the city was like, go for it, which I love. It's great. But when you're when you're going through a 40-year discography... And you haven't been able to tour in a while and you got new music. Then you go, okay, well, we got Black Label Society, Hate Breed. We only get so many minutes on stage. Right. Make it count. I, yeah. How do, are you bringing any, are you dusting off some stuff yes. that maybe Anthrax Absolutely. fans haven't heard in a while? This has been conversations via texting, group texting, conversations on the phone, managers, agent, blah, blah, blah. What we're going to do, this, you know, there's this some really fun stuff. I'll start with Setlist. We we definitely dusted some off, some stuff off, which I'm very proud of. There were negotiations, believe me. Everybody <laughs> get on board with it, and because everybody's got their vote in this band, it's, it's democracy, you know. So everybody's got their vote. Well, wait, it's, hold on. Does Charlie get a little bit more of a vote because out of all of you guys, he's the one that's got to keep up the most? The bar's high for the drummer. Look, enough <laughs> of the crying, right? <laughs> no, no. Charlie's actually great because, truthfully. He's a machine. Everybody knows he's, Charlie's a machine. Yeah. So we do, we will pace the set. Like you're not going to put a like gung ho, like a, a killer double bass song like that. And then another double bass song, like, you know, right after that. So you got to be cautious with that stuff. We'll, um, we'll always ask, are you okay with that? You know, because of the, of the pacing, you know, and plus you also want to make it a, a good pacing highs, lows, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, we all, this set list is really coming along nicely. I'm, I'm very happy because look, I don't want to play the same songs of every every show we've ever done. Uh, I want to pull some stuff. We have a big fucking catalog, a big catalog. So let's pull out some stuff and have some fun with it, you know. And uh, yeah, there are definitely some some surprises in this set. So I'm, is I'm it crazy for you to be on that stage and see the dad? that you know loved you guys when he was growing up and now he's got a kid next to him in an anthrax shirt that's going to hear some of these songs for the first time live ever. That's got to blow your mind. Case in point, last night, right? Milwaukee, right? Great show, Summerfest. We did, we just pulled this uh, TNT from ACDC. Just pulled it out, right? Just have fun with it, right? Big crowd, all that stuff. Everybody, hey, all that stuff. It was awesome, right? Out of nowhere, a gentleman with his son lifts his kid the security guy puts his kid on the stage. He wants to sing TNT. I thought he was just going to sing the backup. There's probably video of it somewhere. I thought he was going to sing the background. TNT. No, this kid takes lead vocals over with Joey and <laughs> nails it. I'm telling you now, this kid couldn't have been 10 years old and nails it. Uh, we were just, I was looking at fucking kid rules. This kid rules. I was just, because he got everything. He was so into it. And the see what well, you just talked about, the dad smile. The family smile in the audience, the proud, the proud thing. And the kid, he, we kept him up the whole song, right? He's, he's up there for the whole song. We brought the mic, Scott brought his mic down for, for him to sing. 
It was just one of those rite of passage. It was so fucking great to see that. And this kid was so stoked to be up there. That's what it's all about, right? Passing it on to the next generation. Come on. If that kid, I hope he, he becomes a rock rock legend, right? And remembers that time with Anthrax on the stage, right? What else? I mean, that's that's what it's about. I mean, speaking of Scott, I see him put all these videos up playing with his kid. Yeah, like, well, it's great. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's awesome. Yeah, and that's the whole idea. I mean, look, again, it's got to come from somewhere, right? The next phase of what we love have, has to come from somewhere. So might as well start him young. And look, if, and remember this outlet that, of this this great outlet of music. We need this in this crazy world. But look, we all know it's a ridiculous world. And I won't even talk about today or yesterday. But um, it's a crazy world right now. I think people, not only people, but these kids are under such pressure. They need an outlet. They need, I, I see my son, like, he's wailing and like singing every song he knows. That's an outlet, man. It was for me. And I think we're giving the gift of an outlet for this music thing. So when I see these younger generation guys, these kids come up, man, it's the best. Well, it's been scientifically proven mm. that heavy music is actually good for your psychological health. They've yeah. done the studies. It's a fact. Get it out. Get get it out. I mean, get, it gets the angst out. And it, it, that's what we all look. When I was feeling the way I felt when I was younger, when my dad took off, you know, no money, blah, blah, all this, the whole story. My outlet to feel better was music, was always music. And it made me feel better about things. Whatever it was, it took me to another place. And it's, it's really important. And, and the heavy stuff, it, it met that angst that I had in my gut. That's what it met. It, it met, okay, now it's one-on-one -on -one with this. All right, that feels like I feel like in here. Ah, I like that. And they used, to, they used to try to blame the music on creating the angst. Of course. Like, remember back in the day, yeah. Judas Priest testifying in court and all that bullshit? Like, they tried to make it like the music caused it, but oh, the yeah. music was the cure for it. It has nothing to do with the stupid laws they put in place, and it's hurting everybody's life. It's most, It's mostly about the, the music that's making them feel. No, it's the thing that you, you're, because this, this kid, this kid's parents can't afford a meal because you're fucking law. It's a whole thing. Thank God for music. Thank God, because it takes us away from life for a while. It really does. It makes us go to a different place. It's really important. Well, before I let you go, I got one more question for you. I'm here. Because I know that you grew up in the deli yes. and I'm fifth generation Sicilian baker and grew up in the deli too. Baker? Baker? Baker and deli. Sandwiches, cold cuts, making sausage, all of it. You make the sausage too with the skin and Come everything? Come on, Frank. I applaud this. You're getting Natural casings, all of it. I'm loving this. So, can you slice prosciutto right? course i'm i'm a great look here's the deal with the deli i became really good at it and i'm not bragging or anything but i had to be good at it because my uncle joe my, my uncle joe would tell me exactly when i was doing it wrong and his dad he rest his soul this guy tony his father he would watch me everything i cut either it was paper you know you have in the deli you have these people come in like could i have a quarter pound of liverwurst paper thin how do you cut paper thin liverwurst? It's it's made to be thick. Anybody who knows that, any knows deli meats, it's got to. I sound pathetic now. I know, but it's the truth. You get, I, a quarter so pound. I'm, so I'm in dirty, here with you right now. I am. I am in yeah, here with so you. I had to dirty my machine for your quarter pound of liverwurst. I got to clean this thing all over again. Believe me, it was a big deal. So yeah, I, I think I'm pretty good at cutting because I had to be. I had to learn. So the growing up in my my the bakery was called Tony's by the way ironically of course, enough of course and um, the bakery's no more but the meat slicer 
I have in my kitchen. Now? Right now, yes. Wow. And, and people wow. come over and they walk in my kitchen and they go, how much fucking meat are you cutting? <laughs> how much meat, how much salami are you eating? I love it. That, that you need to cut it. So what I'm telling you is, I'm not far from the Palladium when you guys are in town for Tattoo the Earth. If you have meat you need cut. Wow. To make you feel, I can handle that for you because I have a full commercial grade meat slicer in my kitchen. Wasn't this a Seinfeld episode? <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> I think it was. I think, yeah, Kramer brought the, the, the deli slicer to his house and he's cutting everything. Wow. It's I'm like when you that. have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Oh. When you have a slicer, oh. like... If I'm making sandwiches, it's sliced lettuce. Why would I not cut the tomatoes on the slicer? Why would you not? It's everything. Everything. I mean, we we did everything with the peppers. The peppers. The, we did. We did. We did everything on that. Did you ever? Can you cut a roast beef? Can you do a roast beef? Oh, of course. Come yeah, on. Yeah, that's yeah. That was we we used to have to, you have to untie the roast beef before you had because we used to tie it up, of course, to, yeah. to cook it, and then you had to untie it, make sure it's not in the meat. Oh, it was great. I remember when I was a kid. A delicacy for me was a Oscar Mayer bologna sandwich on Wonder Bread because it wasn't allowed in the house uh-huh. because I grew up being the kid in kindergarten and first grade opening my, you know, Scooby-Doo or I think I had a peanuts lunchbox back then and I had a fresh baked bulky roll with imported provolone cheese and, and, and fresh tomatoes from the garden and thinly sliced prosciutto that back then was probably four ninety nine a pound yeah, and people thought was highway robbery. Yeah, back then, yeah, the, right. Yeah, and all the kids were like, well, gross, what are you eating? Yeah. And I oh, was like, no. can I just have a bite of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And now I want to punch that little girl because <laughs> she didn't know how good she had it. I get it. I totally understand. What's your? Fa- I have to ask you this, and I'm interviewing you. Um, Bring it on. Right now, since you've been all through this, your life of food with this great stuff that oh. you know, and I know you know. What if I had to ask you? If I had to make you a sandwich right now, oh. and I'm in the deli. I'm in my uncle Joe's deli. What do you want on your sandwich? It's this. It's the same fucking sandwich from the first grade. I really? want fresh baked bread. I want thinly sliced prosciutto. I want good mozzarella cheese. The more it smells like feet, the better. I want a little oil and vinegar. I want a tomato that literally your grandmother picked five seconds ago. Wow, I like it. And I want the basil. My mouth is watering right, right now. You know right? that, right? I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for a sub about this big. I'm not, even, oh. I'm not even kidding. I would go for it. I'm not even joking. I want it thick. I want it packed like that. I'm ready. Like when Easy. I go out in the garden, the cherry tomatoes, I'll pick one. And I'll get a basil leaf and roll it up together. And I'm barefoot. And I shove that in my mouth. And I'm like, this is it's the life. most ginzo thing you could possibly do. And I am into it. Yeah, that's that's life right there. You, you're speaking, right? That That's what life's supposed to be about. That kind of simplicity, right? Oh. Beauty and simplicity all at the same time. It's given from the earth, right? You just pick it out and enjoy it, right? Wow. I don't understand how people don't get passionate about like food like that. Like cultures that aren't built around their food. I just, I can't understand it. Yeah. But because it's such a special part of life, right? It's, it's like one of those beautiful things in life, like this food thing. I mean, I love food. I can't eat everything I used to eat, obviously, because we're all older now, but my God, it's such a, when you look at something, it's, it's like a piece of art that you can eat. It really is at that point. So, I mean, it's how you show someone you love them. It's how you grieve. 
it it literally like especially when you're italian it's like it's part of it's there's a, a reason to eat it's, yes it's your, it's your constant companion and it'll never let you down because it's always there if you, you you had a bad day you had a good day you know all that stuff it's it's really you may i gotta eat i'm starving i'm not even joking i want to eat when I see you at the end of August for Tattoo the Earth, I'm bringing you a fucking sandwich because I'm going to be I'm there. A, I'm in on that. <laughs> you know what? If you say it, I'll eat it. I'm bringing that sandwich. All of it. Surprise me with that right. cutter in your house. Oh. All right. I want to I wanna cut from that one. I want to cut from cut there. Cut that meat. Cut yeah. that meat. I want a video. I want to see the video of you making it. I want the whole thing. All right. I might go out and dry age a prosciutto and hang it in the in the basement before you get here just to... You got it hanging? You got like the delis? Like, who, oh, come yeah. on, who didn't have that in the basement? Best. How many times did you hit your head on a prosciutto I hanging from a rafter when you were a kid? Man, so good. So, so good. good. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, there's a great, I have a great Italian deli around my corner, around the corner from my house. I'm not even joking. He's got, they got the whole sausage, everything hanging. Oh. It's one of those serious yes. Italian delis. I might have to go make an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. I might have to go in there. It yeah, especially so, when you, you said oil and vinegar, oh, and that's the flavor right there. Right? The good I mean, vinegar. Mm, so good. It's done, man. This should be a food show. I know. It turns into that a lot. It, it, looks, it turns into a travel show and a food show because who's been to more places than you guys? True. Who's eaten at more places than you guys? You sh- Rock bands should have their own travel show because yeah. you guys have been around the world and seen and done things. And yeah. no specific places. You want to go to specific places. You go to towns. Yes. Like, there's this place in um, Hamburg, Germany. It's a great Italian restaurant right off the water in Hamburg, Germany. Of this, It's one of those, right? We played this place. I think it's called Docks. Down the road, it was this great Italian restaurant. Just some of the best sauce I've ever had in Germany. Oh, and it was incredible. so weird. And you remember these crazy things. Right? Yes. It's yeah. Fun. When it's, maybe what, maybe that's what we'll do when, when you guys get off the road, maybe we'll do an Italian tour together. Hey, I'm and, all about it. And we'll put a travel show together and we'll go around and... I'll be 100 pounds more. Well, I mean, that's we can fine. That's, the treadmill. That's it, fine. Yeah, that's... I'll, I'll look at the treadmill. How about that? <laughs> it's fine. It was so good to see you. Same here. Thank Four you times. so much for coming on the show. And I cannot wait to see you guys with uh, with um, Black Label Society and Hatebreed. Hate it's going to be, be awesome. Fun. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward. This tour is gonna be a lot of fun because number one, it's great to be coming out. Look, it's great to yeah. be playing again on the tour, right? For everybody, right? All of us, you and us. But then uh, the friends on this tour have known each other quite a long time, so the backstage fun is gonna be just as fun as the stage stuff. So it's it's good all around. Good vibes. Yeah. Well, I will see you soon. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. All right, lady. You take care of yourself. Had a great time. Have a great Thank day. You. Go outside and enjoy the sun while it's still here. I got to go weed my tomato plants. It's exactly uh, where I'm going right yeah. now. <laughs> I had a show last night. I'm not weeding today because my back, you know, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow. All right. I'll see you later. Take care of yourself. All right. You too. Bye-bye. There he is, the one and only Frank Bello from Anthrax. And you better believe I'm making him that sandwich and bringing it to the Tattoo the Earth Festival on August 27th at the Palladium Outdoors. You can get the details to that concert in the show notes of this podcast. And while you're there, you'll also find the corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, and it's filled with my guest music 
and also all of the other music that we talked about in the interview. You're also going to find the link to his official website and all his social media links, and you're going to find all of my links as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe and follow the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. The Situation Report is all your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And if you want to save 10% off of everything in the Mistress Carry online store, use the code JULY2022 at checkout to help celebrate Christmas in July at MistressCarry.com. Join me every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern live on my official Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carry podcast a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.